you know, it's just the way I am. I don't, I'm not a book guy. Uh, I'm just not, you know, I'm a feel guy and I do everything like that. Everything that I do is by feel and by ear and by, you know, all of that stuff. Welcome to Jazz Office Hours. I'm your host, Will Chernoff, here with Corey Weeds. Corey, it feels like a lot has happened since our last <laughs> episode. Is that always how September kind of goes? It's always how every month goes, Will. Yeah. <laughs> not just yeah. September, my friend, not just September. Yeah. Well, one of the things that is the most fun that I think happened since the last time we spoke on this show was you have uploaded never before seen footage of Hank Mobley and Dexter Gordon to YouTube, <laughs> which I think is pretty cool. How did that happen? What's going on there? What's the story? It's funny. Everybody wants to, uh, everybody wants to talk about that. Um, <laughs> you know, I, look, I, I don't want to take un, undue credit. Um, first of all, I'm not the researcher. I'm, I'm basically just the messenger, but essentially what happened is, uh, I have a friend. Yeah. And he came across this video of Hank Mobley. Um, and the first course of action that we tried to take is, is there a way to monetize this? Because once you put it out on YouTube, that you can't get it back. Um, and I, I, you know, I pretty much knew that we weren't going to be able to monetize it. But I, you know, I contacted some people. It's not like it was a whole concert. It's one track. Long and short of it is then this friend of mine said, well, I'm not interested in posting it. Do you want to do it? And I said, well, why would you let me do that? I mean, I'm going to get a lot of credit. I'm going to get a lot of YouTube subscribers. You know, he's like, I just don't want to deal with the backlash or the, or what's going to come from, you know, the hundreds of emails, commenting, you know, all that kind of stuff. So I posted it. I mean, I, I posted it and, and, um, I felt a little weird about it. I mean, you know, I got tons of comments and lots of subscribers and it, it created lots of conversation and then from that same video i posted the dexter one which of course didn't get nearly as much uh traction as the um as the hank mobile one for obvious reasons there's no video of hank but it's from a researcher in the ukraine and and how i came about through it was was through my friend um, and I bought some videos from him, you know, in an effort to support him, you know, cause as, as everybody will know, Ukraine's going through some tough times, obviously. Yeah. So, um, I, like I said, I was basically just the messenger. Yeah. Well, there's still time for the other one to, uh, to get as many views cause you're being, you're being shared widely on, uh, on Twitter every time you do it by various prominent jazz journalists. So it's yeah, interesting to yeah. watch. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it's kind of neat to, to get you know, to, to, to have the opportunity to post that. And, you know, so, um, yeah. Nice. Nice. Um, before we get into our first question, I wanted to follow off a little bit on what was the major topic of episode two, which was, mm -hmm. I actually started using a lot of those things we talked about right away because I went out and booked some gigs around an album release that I've got coming up in October. I'm going to put out a digital only album and I used the information we talked about. I reached out to four of our local venues here in Vancouver mm -hmm. and all four of them said yes. They all offered to do gigs. And so then I had to start thinking about the overplaying situation and when I'm going to do some of these gigs. And that remains to be seen. But I did craft a booking inquiry or a pitch that 
was based on a lot of what we talked about and so far so good it seems to have worked pretty well so i will include a link to that in this episode description if you're interested to see and learn more about what i wrote but know that that seems to have been particularly useful stuff that we talked about there oh good I know Very that I didn't know. reach out to you yet. You weren't one of those one of those venues yet, but when the time comes, I will too. <laughs> I'll be here. Yeah. So the first question is another booking-related one. And it comes from a friend of mine in Europe who mm-hmm. works for an agency booking some jazz for artists. And I have a question about an anecdote that he shared with me. What he said was he was trying to book an artist uh, Mm -hmm. for a gig at a prominent UK jazz club. And this Uh artist wasn't a massive, massive artist, but the promoter did accept and did go ahead with it. And, And the way the promoter said that they justified it was by saying, well, I don't think I can sell more than like 30 tickets for this artist, but I love his music. And so that's that's enough for me. I have space every once in a while to just book an artist based on that alone. Yep. Yeah, that's a I mean that's a fairly common thing that happens a lot with me because you you know you want to be first of all especially given the world we're living in now I mean we should always be inclusionary but you know you want to be inclusionary as possible and the fact of the matter is is that just because band A draws more than band B doesn't mean that band A is better than band B musically so I have a lot of people that are incredibly talented and ha- play great music at a very high level, but I, that I have trouble drawing. So, you know, as a club owner, as a promoter, yeah, I'm not going to put them at Shadbolt where it's a one-off concert and, and my next concert's not for two months, but I can put them in on a Thursday or a Sunday knowing that I'm going to have a really busy Friday, Saturday, you know, or I can put them in on a Thursday and go, okay, like 30 people is a little low, but, you know, with his 30 and maybe a general 10 and a club push gets us 10, we're up to 50. So now we're into a break even or make money situation. That's something I have to do all the time to sort of figure out exactly, you know, where I can, where I can put those bands and where it makes financial sense. I mean, obviously you want to try to do the best for the club. You know, you have to, it's strategic. All this club booking stuff is just strategic. So this this club owner or this promoter liked the music. So I was like, okay, well, that's about the, his first priority. He's willing to take a chance. And I bet you he's thinking, okay, you know, if this guy can get 30 in, maybe I have a way to promote it differently from other stuff and I can get another 20 and maybe we get 50 or 60 and everybody's happy. So, I mean, I, you know, I sort of deal with that stuff all the time. Yeah. It's good to know that you don't have to shoot the lights out in terms of uh, how many people you think you can bring to any given place all the time and that you can trust your your yeah. music to resonate with these people though. Yep. It really just depends. There's not a blanket answer. You know, should you aim for the, uh, of course you should aim to make $3,000 and have 80 people in the seats paying $40 each. I mean, of course we <laughs> should aim for that, but you know, what's realistic and setting, you know, we talked at length about what expectations should be and what are realistic. And like, I would go to Frankie's website and I would go to their social media pages and kind of get a feel for what they're doing. Like how big's the club, 
you know, they're serving dinner. It looks like it's a little, little more on the high-end restaurant side. I look at their social media and say, okay, looks like they do one post a week, you know, advertising everything that's coming up, but they don't do much else in terms of specific promotion. And, you know, just really get a handle on the place that you're trying to play at. You know, that'll give you a, a um, I always like the emails from people like, hey, like, how does it work with you? Do you get the people who just come because they come. Like, for example, I played with my dad at Frankie's last night and, you know, we had 75 covers. Nice. And I, I looked around the room and I, I saw probably about 50 that I knew and could count on being there. And then another 20, 25 that were just there because, um, probably would have now, I mean, you know, you could get really micro and try to find out like, maybe they recognize my name. Like maybe they came down because they know I'm the Frankie's. I, I don't know. Yeah. Maybe they're like the father son. Like who knows what who knows? brought them down? The point is I didn't bring them down or I didn't count on them being there. So, you know, if the person that was asking the question said, you know, I think I can sell 30 tickets and maybe there's another 25 that come just because it's an established jazz club. You know, that's different, but not every place you're trying to play is established. Do you know what I mean? So, um, it just, again, you know, it just depends. Every situation is really different. So, you know, that's, that's what I would say about that. Yeah. Now that's all well and good. Uh, we do love it and we have, we have a good amount of content out there about what to do best practices when you're approaching somebody, including in past episodes and in written form, which I'll link to as well. Talking about things that happened recently with us, yeah. <laughs> you know where I'm going with this because you shared uh, a pitch that had none of that, we would say. We could say it was a pitch gone wrong, not because of you, but because of what was coming from the other side. And you received over 150 comments back on Facebook when you shared this. Um, I like to just just check on these things in case they get lost in the social media sands of time and there was a, a good lesson learned to come out of all of this. So what would you like to share about what the heck happened for you in this situation? Now, I want to say right off the bat before I address this, and I should have done this right off the top, there could be some mental health at play here because of the kind of pitch it was and because of the reaction. Uh, and that's never a, a, a good thing to poke fun at ever. So that notwithstanding, um, as I started my post, I don't usually get involved in this stuff. I usually walk away from this kind of stuff. However, I, I wanted to use this, uh, you know, I use social media now because I did get myself into trouble. Um, you know, basically as a promotional tool. Um, and sometimes I find myself getting sucked into the vortex of you know, and I want to fight, you know, I want to, but it's not worth it. You know, as we all know, you just go down that, that rabbit hole and sometimes you can never get out. So I've chosen to not go down that hole, but this thing in particular, I thought could maybe be used as a teaching moment. I do think I get more of these types of requests than you would uh, think. So this particular person reached out, um, and the email was very fragmented. It was like, uh, my name is so-and-so, I'm the house pianist at so-and-so, uh, my phone number is here, I'm setting up some show in Vancouver's Call Me. Well, first of all, I'm not going to call anybody, ever, 
Like, it's just not the way it works in this day and age. I, I book very few gigs on the phone, even with, you know, Peter Bernstein and Brad Turner, and, like, nothing is done on the phone. I politely reached back out to him saying that I, I can't really get with this as a proposal because you've essentially given me no information. I then got an email back about YouTube links that he did not include, then got followed up with actual links of YouTube, to which I never clicked on. I just said, look, I think I'm going to I'm gonna respectfully pass. Yeah. Um, and there's a lesson in that, which I'll get to in a minute. Okay. And then it just divulged into this, you know, he wanted to call me names and say I'm a terrible person. And I, I did my best to remain courteous and professional with him. Um, I think it was you actually, that, or somebody went to the YouTube links. I forgot to take those links out. So somebody went and searched and looked at it. So then I went and searched and looked at it. And again, not to disparage anybody publicly, I would never do that. But it was very clear to me that, you know, this person was not ready for Frankie's and was very far from being ready and probably would likely never be ready, but also didn't do a whole lot of research. Um, into what happens at the club. And all that, all I mean by that is Frankie's is a performance space. It's a space where generally established bands, local or otherwise, come and perform a concert. Put on a show. Um, put on a show. And so, um, you know, the guy just did no research. And... You know, when you're approaching a booker, you've got a very little amount of time. You know, with the amount of emails that I handle every day about people wanting to play, you know, this all this gentleman had to do was say, hey, my name is so-and-so. I'm currently the house pianist at so-and-so. I'm thinking of venturing out and trying some shows in Vancouver. Here's some links to my YouTube page. If you have time to listen, I'd love for you to check it out. Um, I haven't played in Vancouver. I'm sort of based in the Okanagan and haven't ventured out much. I'm not sure if this is the right venue, but I thought I would reach out, to which I would have clicked on the links, made my decision there, and wrote back a kind and honest email where I probably would have said, I appreciate the, the reach out. Um, we don't have anything right now. However, you know, I, I would be happy to keep your stuff on file. And if something ever comes up, I'll be in touch. And don't be afraid to stay in touch with me. Mm -hmm. You know, just do your research. Spend a little time and do your research. And yeah. then it's cool. You know, then it's cool. Yeah. And to wrap it up uh, on the, the pitch gone wrong idea, it was like the reason why I think this resonated with so many people and you got all those people commenting back at it was it was like a particularly extreme example of that not happening. But there's a wide spectrum of like, that's if that's a zero and then yeah. like uh, something where you really know the venue where you're at a nine or a 10, you know, that that will not only get you local gigs that are great, but it can get you gigs probably around the country if you're if you're good at that. Absolutely. Yep. So here's some here's another topic um uh, that we've come around a little bit on. We've actually talked a lot about being professional um off the stage and uh, online and etc when you're when you're dealing <laughs> with people, but here's yeah. a here's a short but deep um question that we probably have to break down a little bit. What do I need to know about how to present myself on stage about stage presence? Yeah, I, I don't know if you need to break it down. I don't think it's that difficult. Oh, good. I mean, 
I have very succinct advice in this regard. Nice. Um, I, I do recognize that not everybody has the ability to engage uh, perfectly with every, like, you know, not everybody is personable. Some people aren't as personable as others and what have you. But if you're going to be in this business, you have to learn, you at least have to learn the basics of, of, of that. Um, you have to understand, I, I truly believe that most people, uh, even experienced people don't really understand jazz. Jazz, jazz music is scary. Um, to a lot of people, um, they recognize that they like it and they recognize that there's something there that touches them, but you don't see people leaving Frankie's and hear them going, Oh man, did you see what, did you hear what Corey played on that two, five substitution on that one tune? Like that was incredible. You never hear that. You always hear like, wow, they were having so much fun. Like, Oh, he was like, I'll give you an example. Last night. Nobody came up to me and said I sounded good. Like they huh. didn't say, "Oh, you sounded so good," or that tune was it. One person said, "Oh, Stairway to the Stars, Highlight of the Night." But so many people came up to me and said, "Corey, you're so funny on the mic, and your stories were really good, and you guys were obviously having a good time." That's what people see. That's what people remember. Remember, that's yeah. what that's what people walk away with, feeling like they were a part of whatever it was that you were doing, because they have no idea what it means to play a two-five-one. They have no idea what any of that means. None. And so when you engage them in a way that, that makes them feel a part of the show, you're, you're being really successful. Now, is it hard to do? Sort of. But you just want to make, you want to bring people in. You want to talk to them. You want to make them feel, you just want to make them feel. You want to make them feel like they're a part of your show and bring them into whatever it is you're doing and getting up there and wearing your hat backwards and, and ignoring the audience and thinking you're too cool for school. Not very many people can get away with that. There are some, but not very many. And so I think it's very important to just get up, look people in the eye, talk to them like they're your friends. Remember that they've paid money in many cases to see you and hear you play and treat them like you respect them and make them feel like they're a part of what you're doing. And I think if you can do that, it doesn't mean you have to get up with a, a you know big red nose and clown shoes and, and, and put on a novelty act. Engaging with your audience, talk to your audience, make them feel like they're a part of what you're doing. Explain the tunes. Explain why you play this tune. Explain the, the inspiration behind this tune. If you're playing a cover tune, like talk to them about Horace Silver and why he's an influence, why he's an influence, all those things, you know? Um... There's just little things, but don't get up there and look at the floor and be scared. You know, you can't do it. And if you are, it's something you need to learn to get over if you're going to be successful in this business. You know, not everybody's going to be Miles Davis. Miles Davis could do whatever he wanted, right? Because yeah. he's Miles Davis. I'm not Miles Davis, so I need to rely on a few different things. I like to wear a nice suit. I like to wear a tie. I like to tell the story about why I'm wearing this tie that my daughter picked out. I like to make them feel like they're a part of what's happening. Yeah. It's just how you want to present yourself. And that, that that's everything. That's how you look, how you sound, uh, all of those things, you know, all of those things. Yeah. 
I really like that that's one of our punchlines, you know? Like, I, I like that there's these underlying themes that keep coming up because this sort of thing is definitely is designed to be something where if somebody jumps in at any given episode, they get an idea of what those themes mm -hmm. and punchlines are without having yep. to listen through the whole thing. And this is absolutely one of them, this idea of um, caring about how you're presented. We've talked about it in, I think, three ways now with this one too. We first talked about it on episode one in terms of the recording and wanting that record project that you're putting out to uh, show the the care that you put into it. And we talked about how you approach people and doing your research. And that's that's a theme unto itself. But it's also true on the stage in, in your interactions with the actual audience and the actual people. It's 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 like one of the main themes at the foundation yep. of all this stuff. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. It is. It really is. Back to the recording side of things with this question, which this would have really been true of where I was at at the time, which is I was just an instrumentalist and a player learning how to play my instrument, and I knew nothing about audio stuff. So the way this is presented, I totally, I totally feel this, and I, especially at a younger age, I really, I really felt this way. I'm in jazz school, but I want to learn about audio recording and mixing. How can I go about this? given that I don't go to audio school and what are the skills that I need to know in this area? Yeah. So, I mean, I did it. I did some audio, you know, I, my situation was a little favorable in terms of how I got some equipment and I also had the club, um, you know, but a lot of this stuff, especially, you know, learning to record audio is the same thing as learning to play audio. You do I mean, it, right? You learn by doing? You, you, you just, you do it. So when you started doing seller live records on the stage there, like what what was your experience level leading into that, and how much learning by doing did you do? None. When you got there? I mean, None? I didn't have any experience. I mean, I watch Chris Gestrin and I watch Brad Turner do it a little bit. But awesome. I, yeah, I, I didn't. Yeah, I mean, I just kind of watched, um, and that was sort of yeah, that's how I did it. I love that. Um, I think people yep. need to hear that. Yeah. I mean, you just watch and listen and ask and learn, you know, and as it turned out for me, I realized fairly quickly that I wasn't going to have the, uh, you know, I wasn't going to have the patience. The attention span. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yes. To be, too. you know, to do that. But that's how you learn and you just sort of try to start doing it, you know? Um, yeah. That's what I'd say about that. I think the question of how to go about it I think it's a great time to ask that question. And like we kind of have these decade checkpoints of it. So Seller Live, you know, let's just roughly say 2000, right? So you you learn by doing starting in the early 2000s, right? And I yep. I show up at CAP 10 years after that in the in the early 2010s. And I don't know anything about audio. It kind of takes me a while to start learning. But at that point, you know, I... I the, the the floor is is yours to kind of experiment with it however you like and now if we're here in 2022 you talk about the floor is yours like there's so much you could do it costs yep. less than ever um i discovered this youtube channel called uh new jazz underground and it's this mm -hmm. three young guys um, th probably quite young, like probably university student age. Maybe they, I actually don't know how old they are, uh, but they could be, you know, they could be 20 or 21. Um, right. And all the channel is, is they have like three mics in their kitchen and they're just playing 
sax bass drums chordless trio and they're just yep. swinging and they're just like playing their tunes um and i'll link to it for for those who want to check it out but this is this this was such an interesting example to me of how much room you have these days to just mess around right. and d you don't need to wait to ask for permission to learn about audio or to record yourself or to try doing anything like that if you got a phone and you can rustle up a couple of mics like you can do something like that and these guys they're you know they can pull like 30,000 views on one of these videos just by doing that you know so who knows what you can do yeah you just i'm a big doer you just do that's what you do yeah um that that that's sort of what i that's that's my kind of uh yeah yeah that that's what i do yeah. i totally vibe with that i think that's why i've always really respected what you do because i see that attitude in you and and i i kind of have that so i really dig that and i think at least in my opinion that attitude can sometimes not be featured very much in the curriculum of something like a jazz school and so it's it's important to be reminded that the floor is yours that you can you can go and try whatever you want to try yeah exactly yeah related on that how do you learn to hear what makes a good mix or master recording <laughs> when you were reviewing the mixes and masters of your own albums? I really struggled with this the whole time I was in my band. I was so bad at this. I didn't, I didn't know what I'd have to like listen a lot to really kind of even hear the difference between the two things. But you have produced a lot of records. So curious what you think. You know, I don't want to... Um, look, I'm not an engineer. First of all, I'm not an engineer. Yeah. You know, and that's not... That's not um, my area of expertise, but again, you trust your ears and you know what you want to hear. Uh, uh, again, you have, um, you know, you have, uh, reference recordings that you like, you know, uh, I want stuff to sound like that. Okay. How do I get the saxophone to sound like that? Okay. Um, you know, so you have to trust your ears. I mean, I, it's a tough one. You know, it's like, well, how do I know I sound good at a gig? Well, like, you know, I don't know. Like, I, you know, you want things to be balanced. You want to be able to hear it. What, what I can tell you is that don't listen in your $500 headphones and don't listen in your $5 headphones. Listen to both. Burn the CD. And if you have a CD player in your car, then take it to your car. Play it on your stereo. Play it on your computer speakers. Play it on your 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 crappy headphones play it on your good headphones and make notes that way make sure that everything is balanced yeah so there's two times you have to do that though probably right like you have to do that when you're mixing and then you have to do it again when you're mastering right and maybe a little bit different each way you no know, mastering yeah. just kind of warms everything up and just kind of brings everything together um it shouldn't really change that drastically from the mix to the master it should just it should just warm everything up a little right. bit is is how that should go down you know yeah i had a, a mastering engineer who's mastered all my stuff sponsor the rhythm changes podcast and when i was doing his ad reads i had to think of what is the most concise definition of uh mastering that i could think of and i just thought of it as uh it's when you prepare your mixes for release and so right. implied in that is that yeah it's not going to be a deal breaker and it's not going to dramatically alter the sound of your record it's just going to like optimize it as part of preparing it for release on on whatever format it's it's literally going to go on exactly yep yeah so that's that's a thing to think about mostly in terms of you've already recorded 
and now you're mixing and that's the time to really dig into that in terms of like if you're going to look look for other recordings as references and stuff that's the right time to be doing that exactly yeah or i mean you know and right at the beginning too you know like right at the beginning like what do you from the from the from the recording standpoint like is you know do you think this recording was done in the same room uh you know and there are things to look for that you can you know um you can do a lot at the beginning you know you can do a lot at the beginning is what i'm trying to say right because you could end up in a situation where you have recorded the tracks and you're in the mixing stage and then you realize oh i want it to sound like this record and then you pull out that record you show it to the engineer you're working with and the engineer is either going to tell you or will just think wow there's there's no way i'm going to be able to get your project to sound like this because the way we recorded it the approach taken in the recording is totally different so it's like an unrealistic uh idea depending on uh if you only start to think about that sort of thing in the mixing stage you're totally dependent on the choices you made when you went in to record it so to get more intent behind those recording choices will be be way better right yeah yeah. Yep. And for you, when you're picking what to release on Seller, you know, you're thinking about that. Well, you're thinking about that when you're deciding whether to say yes to a project, right? You're all you, the gears are already going in your head, I'm sure, of, yep. of all those things, right? Because they have to be for you to be able to make sense of whether or not you want to take this on and you feel like this is going to be a cool project that you want to do, right? Yeah, totally. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You were talking, I saw with james danderfer he did an instagram live and you jumped on there you ended up talking about saxophone related stuff and yep. it was interesting you complimented each other your your perspectives pretty well because he was talking about a lot of things related to the actual equipment that you use as a saxophone player and how that right. will affect the sound uh, that you hear of yourself and and how you develop an idea of your sound and you said probably what I would say if I was having the conversation with another bass player, which is, well, uh, it's very intuitive. And uh, for me, I don't think about the gear too much. And it's a lot of <laughs> just feel and trial and error. And I know I, I know it as I feel my way through it. Is that fair? Is that kind of what you, I recall you saying? I mean, I've done everything that I've done everything that way, Will. That's that's how I do. It's how I run my life. I mean, I'm not you know, I don't have a university degree. Uh, I didn't take that route. So everything that I do is by feel and by ear and by, you know, all of that stuff. Um, that's just the way that's, yeah, that's just the way I am. Um, you know, it's just the way I am. It's, I don't, I'm not a book guy. Uh, I'm just not, you know, I'm a feel guy and I do everything like that. Every part of every aspect of my life is, is like that. So you know, that's just the way it works the best for me. Nice. I I identify with that. I feel that. To sign off here, by the time this episode goes live, <laughs> the Fraser McPherson Jazz Fund scholarship applications will be open. So if I recall correctly, is um, instrumentalist students in BC who are under the age of 25, 25 and under rather 25 and under and who would use the funding towards their studies at a yep. post-secondary institution there is a high school 
scholarship side and a post-secondary scholarship side. And the applications for those are both open this month of October 2022. And it's a return of the scholarship program, which I remember from when I was in high school. I never applied myself, but I got to uh, witness many of my friends apply and get it, which was awesome. Uh, And it hasn't happened for some length of time now due to COVID and other things. And now you are the president of the Fraser McPherson Jazz Fund Charitable Society, and it is back now. So is there anything you want to share about this? Um, no, I'm just, you know, I'm really excited that it's finally back. It's taken forever to, to get it there, but you know, it was important that we were patient and did it in the right way. We've got some really cool people sitting on our board now, um, which is very cool. Um, so I'm just really happy to have it back and I hope, you know, I believe we're giving away more money than we have in quite some time, which is very cool. Yeah, I just, I think it's just, I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be cool. I think it's, I'm excited to see, and I'm looking forward to just giving away some money. It's going to be really fantastic. Now, somebody was thinking, maybe this is what I was thinking at the time too, but somebody's thinking, oh, I'm not at the level yet where I should apply. What's that? What's the answer to those people? Is the answer yes, do it, just do it? You should always apply. Always, nice. always apply, um, you know, for, for, for the simple reason is it's good, pr- uh, you know, you need to learn how to apply to these things because you're going to have to apply to college and, you know, you're going to have to apply to other scholarships. You're going to have to write grants. You're going to have to do all of that. So this is a, this is a practice. Um, this is a practice and it's an important practice. And, uh, the more you do it, the better you get at it. So, you know, you, you absolutely, if you're not at the level, then we're going to know that, or I, I'm not on the, the, the selection committee, but the selection committee is going to know that, but that doesn't mean for one second that you shouldn't apply. You should always apply simply as a form of practice. Nice. And of course, you know, within that eligibility window, as long as you're a student, you can just apply again if you don't get yep. it. So yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. It. Yes. You know, yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, always, always apply. Nice, nice. So the lesson to take away is if you are a student in VC, apply now to get some money given to you by the Fraser McPherson Jazz Fund. Don't don't miss the opportunity. Just go for it if you have any doubts because that's what it's there for. It's there for you. So that's a nice note to uh, end on. We covered a lot of ground in this one. So Corey, thank you for joining me on the show today and I look forward to the next one. My pleasure as always, Will. Thank you. Thank you.